Antioch Dallas, it's so good to be with you today. Welcome home and happy Mother's Day. I'm Nancy Eisenberg and I serve here as one of the early childhood co-directors. We are so glad you're with us. If you haven't already, I wanna encourage you to share this link to the stream with a friend or someone you can invite to watch it with you, even if you're in different places. Also, be sure and post comments in the live chat so we can see who all is joining us. I loved that new feature last week. As I saw the different names scroll up on the screen, my heart was literally jumping for joy. I miss you so much, and I want you to know that I value you and pray for you regularly. Now, we're going to follow the same format this week as we have other weeks. We're going to worship God together. We're going to listen to a message presented by Pastor Zach together and close out by declaring the goodness of God together. We may be physically distanced, but in our hearts, we are joined together. In Ellen's sermon last week, she mentioned a phrase that she remembered her mother saying, our words are so important. Words mothers have spoken are often remembered. Why don't you take a moment to share with someone around you or a friend something encouraging you remember your mom expressing, or go ahead and type it in the comments. I was reminded this week of something that my own mother once said to me. In fact, they were words that she pinned on a card at the birth of our first child. She said, you've only touched the hem of the garment of what it means to love a daughter. And she was right. My heart was so full and tender that day, but I had no comprehension then of the capacity and the depths my heart would plunge to. When God describes himself in the Old Testament, he uses a Hebrew word that embodies the tender love a mother has for her newborn child. God is passionate about you. Psalm 139 is a well-known chapter that refers to God knitting us together in our mother's womb. Earlier in that chapter, David says of God, you, him, me, in, behind, and before, and you lay your hand upon me. The Passion Translation renders it like this. You've gone into my future to prepare the way, and in kindness, you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. With your hand of love upon me, you impart a blessing to me. What a comfort for such a time as this, that we can have confidence that we are hemmed in by God's love. That hymn of God's love keeps our lives from unraveling. Later in the same chapter, the psalmist declares, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that full well. Join us now together as we praise God. He is worthy. We know that full well. Your enemies crash to their knees 
amen. We are desperate and lost without you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that we are found in you. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, my name is Donnie Tapey, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Now, if this is your first time joining us, or if you joined us sometime during this unique season, we are honored that you're here with us today. So thank you for joining us. I believe that God has brought you here this moment, participating in this service, because he has something for you. He has incredible purpose for your life. And I know that God wants you to know right now that He loves you. So if you're new with us, we would love to get to know you. If that's you, text ADTX Connect. That's Antioch, Dallas, Texas. So ADTX Connect to 97,97000. And one of our pastors will reach out to you. We'd love to meet you and pray for you. Before we turn our attention to our lead pastor, Zach Daniel, as he shares out of the Word of God today, we have a few announcements that we want to share with you. Here at Antioch Dallas, we believe that we are sons and daughters who encounter Jesus, practice His ways, and build His kingdom in our city, nation, and nations of the earth. Now, though our circumstances have changed, our mission has not. So, here are six ways we want to encourage you to walk out our mission together this week. As we consider how to be sons and daughters who encounter Jesus, we invite you to grow in your relationship with the Lord through our Sunday worship experience. And way to go, you're doing that right now. We've also prepared age-appropriate experiences for your kids. You can find these on our church's dedicated YouTube channel. Just search on YouTube for Antioch Dallas. Another way you can grow in your relationship with Jesus is by spending time with Him. So, we've developed resources to help you as you spend time with Jesus. You can find these by visiting bewithjesus.me. We practice His ways by continuing to attend life groups. Now, while we're still in this time of social distancing, we are encouraging life groups to meet virtually. Again, whether you meet via Zoom or Google Hangouts or any other online platform, the point is that your virtual life groups be discipleship communities that practice the ways of Jesus together uh, in neighborhoods throughout the city. Another way we practice His ways is through our giving. We desire to continue to live out our calling to be a generous church by meeting the needs of those who have needs in this time. So you can give online or by texting the prompt to the number on your screen. Lastly, we have identified two ways to build His kingdom in our city, nation, and nations of the earth. The first is through prayer. We are hosting a daily prayer hour on Zoom from noon to one every Monday through Friday. We are setting aside this time to contend in prayer and intercede on behalf of our city, nation, and nations of the earth. Now, we have been participating in daily prayer for more than a month now, and we're seeing God answer these prayers in miraculous ways. So join us. You can find the link to the Zoom call on our website's homepage. The second is through serving by reaching out to our neighbors in city with Christ's love. Whether that's giving an outreach card to your neighbors, letting us know how you can meet a need, or as a life group, providing meals for various individuals, we have a way to connect you with those opportunities. You can find the details for all of the announcements I just shared by going to AntiochDallas.org and you'll see everything on our homepage. All right, now it's time to press in together. Are you guys ready? 
So let's give our attention and focus to Pastor Zach as he shares out of the Word of God today. Well, hello, church family. It's with a mix of emotions that I come to you today. It's just been such a strange week in our generation. We're in the midst of a pandemic that we're all painfully aware of. And then this week, I know that you uh, and I and all of us were stunned, saddened, shocked by the murder of Ahmaud Arbery. And it's just another reminder of the racism and the hatred that's so uh, prevalent in our nation. And with that, it just brings great sadness. And so before we move on, I want to take a moment just to lead our church in prayer over this. And I know that we want to do things, we want to do action as well as prayer, but it's important for us as the people of God to realize one of our tools is prayer. And so we want to start there and let that overflow into action to bring about justice and change. So if you'd bow your head with me for a moment. Jesus, we come to you, Lord, grieving uh, this week grieving over the hatred and the racism and the violence that has uh, so marked the history of our nation and continues even to this day, Lord. And God, we're praying as the people of God that you would start with us and you would cleanse our hearts, Lord, of the places that we carry hatred and racism, Lord, and that you would cleanse us and you make us a people marked by love. Lord, and we pray for our nation. We pray that uh, there will be transformation and healing, Lord, that the people of God would bring forth hope and restoration, Lord. And we really would see healing and transformation in our nation, Lord, that we would be a nation marked by love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, that's something we want to be carrying in our hearts. And uh, we have those things going on. And on the other hand, you know, today is Mother's Day. It's a day where we celebrate moms, uh, young and old, all across our nation. And uh, just as we get started, I want to say to all the moms out there, we love you. We honor you. We're so thankful for the way that you invest in all of our lives. And for me, this is a special Mother's Day because it also falls on my 17-year anniversary. So 17 years ago, I got the privilege of marrying my wife, Christina. Christina, I just will take a moment while I'm on the microphone to Uh, tell you how much I love you, how amazed I am that you chose me, (laughs) and how much a joy these last 17 years have been. You are a wife of noble character, and you're worth far more than rubies. So it's our 17-year anniversary, and I just want to honor you uh, here. And then, actually, church, it's also my wife's birthday this week. So her birthday is on Wednesday, the 13th. So if you uh, think of her then, love for you to send her an encouragement. Christina, we love you, and to all the moms out there, uh, we want to honor you today. And with that, we have Mother's Day today. We have Father's Day in about a month. We're in this season where we've all been asked to stay at home as much as possible, and so it just seems like home is on the mind. Uh, I've seen all the stand-up comedians with the late-night shows are doing them from their home. Everywhere you turn, uh, people are talking about home and working from home and and being at home. It's just a season where we're focused in on home. And whether you are uh, living alone or you're with roommates or you're living with your family, what I want you to know is that the home is very important to God. When we look at the ministry of Jesus, He is all the time going into people's homes. 
He's going into their homes to eat. He's going into their homes to teach. He's going into their homes to hang out. He's going in their homes to celebrate and throw parties and work miracles. If you read through as we went through the Gospel of Luke, it's Jesus in one home after another, after another, after another. And we see the Apostle Paul shows us that when Christ comes into our life, when His healing and grace and saving power comes into our life, one of the first places that is impacted is our home, is our relationships that are closest to us, our, our marriages, our families, our, our, our household relationships experience transformation as the gospel transforms us. God cares about the home. And so just as I've been in prayer for our church, one of the things that I believe the Lord wants to do in this season is to strengthen our homes. Uh, my family, we've experienced all sorts of high highs. We've built a fire pit in the backyard and cooked dinner. We've been on walks. We have played games. We have introduced them to old funny shows from our childhood. Uh, and we've made lots of memories. And it's been a great time to build our relationship in this unusual season. And at the same time, because we are a normal family, just like anyone else, there are challenges of being in close quarters and being pressed up with people day in and day out. And so there are times of friction and frustration and irritation. And I know for so many of you, as I've talked with you and heard from our pastors and even seen on social media, you're, you're experiencing the same thing. High highs, great memories. They're things that we love about this season of slowing down and simplifying. And there are very real challenges that we face. There's loneliness and irritation, isolation, fear and anxiety and all of those things. And so my hope in this time as we talk today and over the coming weeks is that God would bring grace and strength right into your home, right where you live, whether you're living alone or with roommates or with family, that you would experience the grace and the peace and the presence of God right in your home and it would bring strength to your home. And when we're talking about strengthening the home and we're talking about experiencing the life and the peace and the presence and the joy of the Lord in the places that we live, I think such a great starting point for us to begin with is in the area of worship. And as we talk about strengthening our homes, I want to talk to you today about the practice of worship as a tool to bring strength into your home and to host the Lord's presence there. I want to do that by telling you a story. A number of years ago, I went on a mission trip to the Middle East, and it was my first overseas mission trip uh, that I had ever been on. And we went to a Middle Eastern country where, uh, you know, it was not popular to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, it came with a price. And we uh, met some believers there who took us to their church, and their church was actually in a season of grieving, a season of trial, a season of pain as one of their members had been martyred for their faith recently. And you could just sense the heaviness, the sadness, the grief that was in the church. And they had asked us to come and share some sort of encouragement to them. And as you probably would have been, I was quite apprehensive of not really knowing like what are we going to do and what hope are we going to bring to this very, very sad situation. And I was so thankful for my team leader. He, he kind of led us through and he said, hey, we're going to go in here uh, and we're going to lead the church in a song 
of worship. And so we were to walk up to the center of the church and there in this Middle Eastern country, I remember standing there and seeing all the people and you could feel their, their grief and their sorrow. And I just remember being like, oh Lord, please, please, please help us. I don't know if you ever prayed one of those prayers. And my team leader began to play a simple song on an acoustic guitar. And I closed my eyes because I was too nervous to watch what was going to happen. But I was just like, I'm just going to worship the Lord and trust God to do something remarkable. And we sang a song uh, about trading our sorrows and our sadness and laying them down for the joy of the Lord. And as we sang that song, that simple song, when I opened my eyes at the end of the song and I looked out, there was this remarkable shift and transformation that came in the church. It literally was like people had experienced the lifting of sorrow the lifting of grief, the lifting of fear, and what had been placed in their hearts was joy. There was a sense of celebration. There was a sense of uh, Jesus is victorious, and therefore in the midst of this tragedy, we found the strength to say hallelujah anyhow. And that experience marked me as I experienced the peace and the power of God at work in that community. They were so moved by the experience that they threw a party after church uh, for us where we all got to eat this amazing uh, Mediterranean food. And it was an experience I'll never forget. And I want to ask you, have you ever had an experience like that? I mean, I realize most of us have not been in a situation where uh, we've experienced someone being martyred for the faith, but we've all been in places where things are hard and times are difficult and we feel fearful and overwhelmed and sad and anxious and just things are heavy, right? And in that place, I want to know, have you ever experienced the Lord in worship? Bring that transforming power, bring that healing, bring that joy, bring that strength that, that happened in the story that I told you about. Now, if you haven't, what I hope to do in our time today and over the coming weeks is help you encounter the Lord like that in worship and learn to encounter Jesus in the place of worship and encounter the peace and the joy and the life that his presence brings. And if you have encountered him in that way, my hope is that our time today would be an inspiration and would stoke your passion for worship and inspire you in this season to worship the Lord in a fresh way and that we all would experience His grace and His peace and His hope and His joy as a means to strengthen our homes. My friend Michael Sullivan says it like this. He says, adoration is a door. Adoration is a door to the presence of the Lord. And so we're going to learn today about worship and worshiping the Lord and finding strength in our homes. To do that, we're going to turn to uh, Revelation chapter 4. That's where we're going to be today. Hey, so while you're getting out your Bible and your journal, I want to uh, share with you a couple updates on our church that I wanted to make sure that we cover today, and then we're going to jump into studying more from God's Word on the topic of worship. Uh, I've been so encouraged by our church in this season when the things that can be shaken have been shaken. I've just seen over and over and over again the church, you guys, rise up in loving Jesus, loving our neighbors, 
and uh, loving one another. And I'm so proud of you. I've been inspired by the stories that I'm hearing from you. I've been encouraged in my faith. And one of the things we were able to do this week, just a fresh testimony, was out of the generosity of the church, we've been able to give away 6,000 meals this week to people in need in our community. So I'm really excited to, to see how we're being the hands and feet of Jesus in our city in the midst of the coronavirus. And as I've said all the way through this, while our circumstances may change, we want our mission to stay the same. And as a church, we want to keep moving forward in our mission. And so to that end, I wanted to update you on our worship uh, pastor process. You guys know in November, we communicated that Jeremy West was going to transition out of being our worship pastor and step into being our missions pastor. Uh, and we celebrated and honored him. And he's been doing a great job as our missions pastor. And then over the past couple months, we've been uh, looking and praying and seeking the Lord for who is God calling us to lead us forward in worship in this season. And I've been so thankful for our staff and our overseers in the process. We've had people apply from within our church and outside our church. And it's just been a great time of really seeking the Lord. And I'm excited to introduce to you our, our new worship uh, leadership. And use that term plural because we realized in the process that we needed to break what had been one role. We needed to break it into two part-time roles that we thought would better serve where we believe the Lord wants us to go uh, in the future. And so I'd like to introduce to you our new worship pastor. Uh, you already know her, Lauren Gonzalez. Lauren, who's been serving on our worship team and has a background in the area of worship, we just sense that the Lord has called her for this time, and she's going to be leading the worship ministry forward in terms of vision and culture and developing people. And then alongside her as our worship director, again, another familiar face, Matt Bowden, who's been serving in our worship ministry as well. He's going to become our worship director, and he's going to be overseeing kind of the processes, the technical side of worship, the musical side of worship. And they're going to work as, a, as leadership for our worship ministry. And then our team is going to lead us forward uh, in this season. So I'm really excited about that. I'm also excited to introduce to you Macy McLean, who's going to be stepping up and providing leadership for our Club 57, our fifth through seventh grade ministry. Macy, we love her and we're so excited to invest in a younger generation. So we're trying to move forward on mission and I know you are as well. And so uh, let's turn the corner back to the book of Revelation. We're gonna be in Revelation chapter four. And as we go there, you might be like, this seems like a very strange place to go when we're talking about worship. You know, Revelation has a reputation for being a, kind of a strange book about the end times, and that's what most people know it for. Uh, but what you may not know is that the book of Revelation is the most musical book in the New Testament. And it is a book, and at the heart of it is the theme of worship. And who are we worshiping and how are we worshiping? And so of the 21 short chapters, there are 15 songs in the book of Revelation. There's almost a song every chapter. And the songs mark the development of the story. And the Apostle John is who wrote the book of Revelation, one of Jesus' original disciples. 
And he wrote this uh, out of his experience with the Lord. And he wrote it to the early church who they themselves were in a time of trial, testing and suffering. They were in a time of hardship. They were being uh, influenced by the Roman Empire to worship Caesar. And everywhere, everyone was saying Caesar was king. Caesar was the one you owed your allegiance to. Caesar was the one that we really, in all practicality, should worship. And then John puts forward this book of Revelation out of Revelation from the Holy Spirit. And out of these visions that he's had, puts forth this book to the church to speak to them about the one who is truly worthy of our worship. And Bible scholars will tell us that the worship that we see exemplified in the book of Revelation, the worship of heaven, was meant to be what informed the early believers, informed the early Christians in their worship, that they were to imitate and emulate the worship that was going on in heaven and not the worship and the various stories that were going on all around them, but it was to lead them into worshiping the true king. So this is a wonderful place for us to start when we start talking about worship. In fact, most of the worship songs that we sing uh, in the church in our generation uh, have words or passages found in the songs from the book of Revelation. So there are going to be some familiar words and familiar song lyrics as we go through. But we're going to be in chapter 4 today. And as we read, I just have to tell you, John, who wrote this book, he's an artist. He's a poet, and you have to understand that when you read his writings. When you read through the Gospel of John, he's talking about Jesus being the vine, Jesus being the bread of life, Jesus being the good shepherd. He's always painting a picture using imagery to communicate a message. And when we move into Revelation, he does the same thing. There's lots of imagery, there's lots of poetic language, and he's painting a picture to communicate Themes. And so some of the things that we see or we read about are very vibrant images that will stick with you. And you just have to know that's his style of communication to communicate truth to all of us. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked and there before me was a door standing open to heaven. So first three chapters of Revelation are messages to the church. Beginning of chapter 4, he has a new vision. He sees a door in front of him that's open into heaven. Now, if you were to walk into heaven, I wonder what, what do you think would it be like? Uh, there are all sorts of various uh, ideas about what heaven uh, is like. But John actually steps in and he shows us what's going on in heaven. And in verse 3, I'm sorry, in verse 2, it says, At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. So as he walks into the door of heaven, what he sees right before him is this throne, and there's one sitting on the throne, and John goes on to describe this one on this kingly throne at the center of heaven. The one there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. So as John's talking about the one on the throne, remember, he's using artistic language. He's describing the one on the throne as beautiful, shining like rubies, beautiful like a rainbow, majestic. And then he goes on to say, Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. 
And they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. So he sees one on the central throne with other thrones around it. And he said, from the main throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne, there were seven lamps blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. You know, uh, the other night we had kind of a thunder and lightning storm. And every time those roll through Dallas, I'm just amazed at just the sense of power and majesty of thunder and lightning. And John is seeing the throne and he's describing it as so powerful and so majestic that it's shining like a ruby. It's glowing like a rainbow. It's like thunder and lightning. The beauty and the power are going forth. And then he said in front of the throne was what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal. In John's day, the sea, the ocean was a place of turmoil. It was a place of demonic influence. It was a place of chaos. And so he's saying the throne at the center of heaven is seated on this sea. But this choppy, uh, violent sea has been brought still, has become like glass under the kingship of the one who is on the throne. In the center around the throne were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third like the face of a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying. So he sees these creatures flying around the throne who are singing the first song that we see in Revelation. And they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever they sang this song, verse 9 tells us, whenever they give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever, the 24 elders, the other thrones around them, uh, that they, uh, then those elders fall down before the king on the main throne and they throw their crowns on the ground and they, they worship him and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. So there's track two on the album of heaven. Track one is holy, holy, holy. Track two is you are worthy for you've created all things and by your will they were created. So I want to pause right here and make some observations that we can learn from the worship going on in heaven that can help us all encounter the Lord afresh in worship in our own homes. The first thing that I want to point out to you, when John walks in, he walks into a worship service. And in that worship service, he sees someone on a throne. There is an object of the worship going up from all of heaven. And it's a little obvious, but it's important to point out uh, that John is not the one on the throne. That the worship is not going forward to John. In fact, the worship and adoration and honor of heaven is going forth to someone else. And when we worship, and particularly when we worship in our homes, it reminds us that we're not the ones on the throne. That we're not the ones at the center of it all. That God is at the center of it all, not us. And that's so freeing. When we put ourselves at the center and when we make our home life all about us and what we want and what we desire and what we're trying to get, 
it leads to division. It leads to anger. It leads to frustration. It leads to just irritability and no one wanting to be there. But when we realize, and worship helps us do this, that we're not the center of it all, but God is, right? When we realize that, it removes a weight from our lives that we were never meant to carry, and it releases peace. When Christine and I uh, were on our honeymoon, we went to Mexico, and we went on this little day trip there where we were going to go snorkeling, and you take a little boat to go out on this excursion, and there are a number of people on the boat, and as we got close to land, uh, the leaders of the excursion said, hey, we have enough snorkeling gear for, for half of you. And so what we're going to do is the, we want you to line up. And the first half, you're going to snorkel first. And the second half, you're going to eat lunch. And then we'll flip it around. And so we were all supposed to get in a line, which everybody was like, yeah, that's fine. Except for this one kid who began just to go crazy yelling, I'm number one. I'm number one and fighting to get to the front of the line because he believed that he really needed to be number one, that it was all about him. And his dad in the ultimate dad voice, uh, I could tell he was embarrassed. He said, son, you may be number one in our family, but you're not number one here. What was he trying to say? He was trying to remind his son, hey, we love you, right? But, but you need to realize this isn't all about you. And if his son would have realized that, he would have had a much more enjoyable time than just getting all worked up. And that's what worship does for us. It reminds us that you and I are not number one. Second thing that I want to point out to you, though, that we need to make sure we see is who is on the throne. It's not John. It's not you. It's not me. But it's God himself. And John uses a visual language emeralds and rubies and rainbows and thunder and lightning to communicate about the majesty and the power and the goodness of the one on the throne. And then we hear the lyrics to the song saying that God is holy, holy, holy. Now we don't use the word holy a lot, but what it means uh, is that it means that there's no one like him. And not that there's, man, there's no one like you. It's not that. It's, wow, there is no one like you. And so I want to take you into, for a moment, a little bit of the there's none like God, because I want you to see and savor today the one on the throne. That word holy throughout the Bible has a number of usages and meanings, and I want to give you a few of the words that make up why God is so holy. He is available and awesome. He's a builder and he's beautiful. He's compassionate and caring. He's a creator. He is delightful, a defender and a deliverer. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is El Shaddai, our supply. Uh, e, F, he is faithful, friend and father. He's forgiving. G, he is good and generous. He gives us grace. G, H, he is holy and happy. I, he is intimate and infinite. I, J, he is joyful and just. His name is Jesus. K, he is our kind king. L, he is love and he is light. M, he is mighty and majestic. N, he is near and notices us. O, he is omnipotent and omniscient. P, he is powerful, our prince of peace. Q, he quiets us with his love. Q, R, R, he reigns in righteousness. S, I'm testing my alphabet. S, he is strong and he is our shepherd. 
T. He is a teacher and he's tender. He is trustworthy and true. U. He is unique. There is no one like him. V, he is our victorious vine. W, he is wise and he is wonderful. X, I don't have one for that one. Y, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His name is Yahweh. Z, he is zealous for his glory. And he is the one who is on the throne. And he is the one who is holy. And he is the one we worship. And that's good news. That's so exciting that you and I aren't on the throne, but worship brings us before the one who is. And when we worship, one thing that we like to do is we want to sing songs about God's character. Because like I said, to adore him is adore to his presence. And so when we sing about his character, when we sing about his goodness, right, we enter in with what's going on in heaven. We didn't start worship this morning when our service began. We entered into a worship service that's been going on since eternity past and will go on to eternity future. And we entered in and we enter in through adoring Him, through singing about His holiness. And this is so important because in the early church, they were inundated with lies about who really was on the throne. Their culture told them that Caesar was on the throne. Their culture told them that the Roman Empire was on the throne. Their culture told them all sorts of other things were what was really in charge, but worship and adoration of the king allowed the church to be reminded and to be renewed in truth of no, God and God alone is the one on the throne. I wonder for us, what are the things that we're tempted to be inundated with And we're tempted to be overwhelmed with and even brainwashed with that are really what's important and really what's important in our home. Our culture tells us all sorts of messages, right? But worship brings us back to what's true, that it's God who is on the throne and He is awesome. Third thing that I want to point out from this passage to you that we can learn about worship that will help us all experience the Lord and encounter Him in worship is you'll notice that the elders uh, are, are getting down on their knees and they're throwing their crowns. It's, it's kinesthetic. Their bodies are involved, right? And when we learn about worship in Scripture and when we see the worship of heaven, we see that it is a full body experience. And you know, as humans, we're, we're, our bodies are deeply connected to what's going on within us, right? You, you see people... Um, I think of the, the a hostage movie from Iran where they come back to the States and they land and they kiss the ground because they're so happy to be home. Or thinking about when, when a man proposes to a woman, you get down on one knee, right? Because you get your body into it. In fact, they say communication is, I think, 90% what's going on in your body language. And worship is like that. When we don't just engage our minds in worship, but when we engage our bodies, when we do things like kneel, or raise our arms, or stand, or or dance even. When we do those things, what it helps us to do is to enter into worship with all that we are. And I don't know if you have certain foods that if you put them on something, they just enhance the meal. Like for me, I can be eating something so bland, but if I can figure out how to get barbecue sauce on it, honey mustard dressing on it, or bacon, I'm good. I'm like, this is awesome, right? My wife, She wants to try and get cilantro 
on it. That's her upgrade that just makes everything better. My kids and kids, you know this, they're always trying to put cheese on everything. They think cheese makes everything better. Well, in worship, when we begin to engage our bodies, it's like that instant upgrade to our worship and our experience in worship because it helps us engage in an active way, not a passive way. So I would encourage you in your home, I would encourage you to take times to worship and take time to worship, not just with your mind, but kinesthetically with your body as well. And the last thing that I want to point out to you is that this sounds like a party, right? You've got beauty happening. You've got thunder and lightning. You've got these majestic creatures who are singing, these elders who are falling down and throwing their crowns. There's music everywhere. Later on, we'll see that all of heaven and earth and everything under the earth was singing like this is a celebration. And one of the gifts that worship provides in our lives is it teaches us to celebrate. Now, remember, these words originally were going to a suffering church in the midst of pain and problems. And those problems and pain were very real. But when they worshiped and when they looked toward heaven and they remembered that God was victorious over all, that Jesus had defeated Satan and that he was making all things new. When they remembered that their worship led them into celebration. And celebration led them into joy. And that's what I actually believe happened that day in the Middle East as the church turned their attention to Jesus. They were led into celebration. That celebration led them into joy. And so in times in your home where things start to feel tense or overwhelming or fearful or lonely, I encourage you to put on worship because worship leads us into celebration. It helps us find that hallelujah anyhow. And as we find that, then joy begins to fill our homes as God's presence fills our home. Uh, my wife and I, we have certain songs and certain albums that we know we can go to when we need to be pulled out of a bad mood or out of frustration or out of discouragement and be pulled into joy. For us, one of those albums is by a guy named Fred Hammond. It's called Radical for Christ. And, and there are times where we have played that album. And I tell you, uh, you can look it up on Spotify. If you play that it is hard to stay in a bad mood because it's so joyful and it just brings you out of wherever you are and brings us into joy. And that's what worship does. So as we close, uh, I want to give you a couple practical ways you can incorporate this this week into the life of your home, whether you're alone or with roommates or have your family there. Number one, I want to encourage all of us to start the day with worship. To start the day like John did, declaring, I'm not the one on the throne. God is the one on the throne. And that's really good news. So I want to encourage you to start your day with worship. You can take this YouTube video and play the worship songs from today, each day during the week. If you don't uh, know of other songs to play, use these. They're awesome. Our worship team is wonderful. A second challenge that I want to give you. Um, is while you are eating dinner, or I'm sorry, while you're cooking, because we're all eating at home more, while you're cooking, I want to encourage you to turn on worship music in the background. There's something about worshiping while we're doing something or while you're doing laundry or while you're cleaning your house, but something, put that on in the background and let that set the tone 
for your home. And then third challenge, I want to challenge you at dinner when you eat. I want to challenge you to go through some things that you're thankful for from that day because Thanksgiving is a great way to worship the Lord. And if we'll do those things, we will experience more and more of God's grace, His presence, His joy, and His strengthening power in our home in this season. Now, you might be watching this and you might be like, I, I'm, I'm not sure about worship because I'm not really sure about what I believe about Jesus. I don't really know that I've made a decision to follow Him. And I want you to know when we look at the world around us, we see a world that is broken uh, both outside, we read it in the headlines, but also broken in our hearts. We all feel it. And yet Jesus teaches us that that's not how things always were, that God created the world and He created the world good. That's why they're singing, you, you are worthy of honor because you created all things. God created all things good. He created you good. He created you for a relationship with Him and relationship with others. But mankind, we, the Bible tells us, we turned from God. We chose not to go His way, but to go our own way. Not to, not to enjoy Him on the throne, but to try and get ourselves there. And when we did that, uh, just like every choice has consequences, there were consequences to us trying to be in charge. It's what the Bible calls sin, and that led to the death and destruction that you see and I see all around us and even within us. But God loved us so much that He didn't leave us there. He came in Jesus. Jesus came, God was skin on, and He lived a perfect life amongst us, a life of, uh, of love, a life of purity. And He gave His life for us on the cross so that He could take on our sin and our shame and our pain and give us His life in its place. And He rose again on the third day and He offers that to whosoever would come. And so if you've never received Jesus' gift of salvation, if you've never said, Jesus, I'm not Lord, you're Lord, I want to invite you to do that today because that's the starting point to the peace and the grace and the life that God has for you and wants to give you. So if you know today you want to make Jesus Lord, I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me and I'm going to lead you in a short prayer. The words are important, but what's more important is your heart uh, as you pray because the Lord sees our hearts. So if you bow your heads with me, Jesus, you're awesome. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin and rising on the third day to give me new life. I repent of my sin and choose to follow you this day and every day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Zach, for that awesome lesson encouraging us to host God's presence in our homes and to worship with our families. I love the practical ways you gave us to walk that out this week in our homes. As we end our time together, it's time to say our declaration. Our declaration is based off of Isaiah 61, and we say it every week to reorient us to who Jesus is and what He does in us and through us. So let's say it together. Ready? One, two, three. Jesus is the bread of life 
And that means he is good news for our poverty, healing for our brokenness, liberty for our bondage, favor for our world, victory over our darkness, comfort for our sorrow, and provision for our need. As such, we are called to be sons and daughters who encounter Jesus. He is at work in our lives, transforming our ashes into beauty, mourning into joy, despair into hope, and building us into oaks of righteousness planted by God to display His splendor. As such, we practice His ways that we might grow vibrant like oak trees. He is at work through us to see people who have been stranded by sin, rescued to life and liberty in Christ. As such, we desire to leverage our lives to see His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Church, we are praying big prayers for you as we persevere together in this time. We love you. Go in peace.